Hello and welcome to the Alpha Zone, Season 5, Episode 5. And now we turn to WWE Smackdown from the 15th of April 2022. A red-hot promo segment kicked off Friday Night Smackdown as RK-Bro Pop the crowd only for the Usos to interrupt. A verbal confrontation between the Raw and SmackDown tag team champions featured some extraordinary work from a fired up Randy Orton and a typical fluid promo from Jimmy and Jay before culminating with the latter escaping RK Bros, the latter accepting. RK Pro's challenge for the championship unification match before they were managed before they the USOs managed to escape RK Bro's dueling RKOs. Try saying that four times fast. Orton bought some energy here, clearly motivated by the crowd, and the segment was elevated as a result. The Viper is having a blast during this run and it is evident every time he appears on screen. His chemistry with Riddle is as strong as anyone else on the roster. And the impending match against the SmackDown Tag Team Champion should be one hell of a match. And one I'm looking forward to. Don't be surprised if the cheap shot dealt by the Usos... to riddle leads to a match later in the show because well that is usually the direction the ladies take this segment gets a 12 out of 10 my thoughts grasshoppers smoking grasshoppers pat mcafee said as riddle kicked off his flip-flops and revealed the rv insects a wink and a nudge-nudge moment. Riddle discussing the history of Worcester as he understood it was just stupid. But the Raiders had to get their shit in somewhere. But you two hats, Orton said of the Usos in a fired-up promo was just... Mwah, mwah. Next, the feud between the teams of Sasha Banks and Naomi and Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan continued with single showdowns between Naomi and Ripley, each accompanied by their respective partners. A good competitive match saw the former repeatedly escape the grasp of her larger, stronger opponent before Ripley was able to catch her with the riptide for the win. These two teams having established some strong in-ring chemistry since WrestleMania in both tag teams and singles bouts and their championship clash on Monday is one fans have waited extra weeks to witness. The punishing onslaught of our favourite dominatrix Rhea Ripley and Naomi only enhances this 
it's not a feud, but adds and enhances to this match. The athleticism mashed so well here. Hopefully, the dynamic rears its head on Raw and a much-anticipated showdown lives up to the amazing expectations they have set. The only negative is it did not further the storyline in any measurable way. It was another instance of teams trading wins back and forth with neither really gaining an advantage or advancing. Again, it's not a feud. I want to say their feud, but it's not. The the only thing it does is negatively affect it. I'm sorry, but it is only negative. If it had been positive or done anything positive, it would have affected my grade, as our friends across the pond say, our American brothers and sisters. It would have affected my grade, but as it is, it only gets a 2 out of 10. You know, my thoughts, McAfee's excitement over the announcement of Riddle versus Jimmy five days before April 20th continues his nudging of the audience. Yes, we get it. Riddle is a stoner. A hell of a clothesline from Ripley turned the tide in her favour, entering the commercial break. Naomi repeatedly countering out of the riptide making Ripley's eventual execution of the move that much more effective. And then the bullshit backstage with Happy Corbin referred to Mad Cat Moss as a lackey and a hanger honour and looked forward to him falling on his face and becoming the laughing stock of the blue brand. Imagine how bad your personality must be for people like you. Better as a bum, Moss said in rebuke to his former partner. Next, Mad Cap Moss made his first in-ring appearance since his split from Happy Corbin a week ago, defeating Humberto in what amounted to little more than a meh for the newly baby-faced competitor. The crowd appeared to be into him and he showed great intensity while rolling over the heel, which is a good omen for his push. Even with that, it is impressive that WWE strips him of the jester gimmick. He has to lose the shorts and get rid of the suspenders and become his own man if he has any chance of living up to the potential he has shown since the dawn of 2022. He is too talented to be held back by this very, very shitty gimmick that he outgrew the first hour into his first appearance on SmackDown. Next, Drew Gulag hosted an interview segment with SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte Flair that did little to drum up excitement for the Queen's match with Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania Backlash and plenty to dilute the match. 
One of the most talented in-ring technicians, Charlotte Flair, did a stupid and ridiculous, again, circle jerking arseholes for this was an appropriate spot. Drew Gulag hosted... Um, sorry. Um, I'm getting annoyed at myself now. Flair attacked Gulag and applied her figure four and the interviewer's humiliation screaming of I quit failed to put the champion over as a threat to tap out anyone. Sure, Gulag has been underutilised consistently since 2022. I just... Meh. Yeah, he had some... Drew Gulag had some... Credibility in 2020 when he had a push with Daniel Bryan, but this was a massive one and done. And this segment here was disappointing. It was just disappointing. So, zero out of ten. My thoughts. It still has stupid suspenders on, but it's physically impressive. McAfee said of Moss following a shoulder tackle to his opponent. No more dumb jokes, just madcap being a boss, said McAfee. Angelo and Alberto teased, splitting up backstage following another loss. Again, no one cares. No one cares. McAfee's reaction to Drew Gulag asking Flair about tapping out at Mania was priceless. I'm a submission master. I've been submitting opponents for over a decade, Flair said, while hyping her upcoming title defence against Rousey. Which is true. She has been in WWE for over a decade. And she has been tapping people out with the abridged figure four, known as the figure eight, for over a decade. So, the lady didn't lie. However, the Raiders segment here fucked any credibility that her true statements had and all it did was just damage Charlotte Flair it damaged her and made her look weak it also you know what was the point of Gulag being there other than someone for Charlotte Flair to attack and to put in a figure eight I'll wait Nope, I can't think of anything either. So, for the second time in as many weeks, Sami Zayn run away through the audience, avoiding the claymore from Drew McIntyre again. Just for God's sake. The Scottish warrior beat up Zane before the great liberator took off through the crowd. Not at all interesting by the crowd in the audience or the people at home or this alpha. Suffering another loss to Drew McIntyre and his third consecutive loss 
after his defeat at the hands of Johnny Knoxville at WrestleMania. The feud itself has Drew McIntyre in it, for God's sake. You know, they're doing our boy Drew dirty here. They really are. They're trying to make Zayn one of the best heels in the business as a slimy, sneaky, cowardly heel who always escapes but tries to get himself over on TV. McIntyre is an ass-kicking babyface and is a great foil and the perfect character to pair such a heel with. However, the problem is Sami Zayn does not have the credibility to play this type of heel, so you're just wasting Drew McIntyre. It's not hard to figure out what the Raiders are going to do. They're saving this match for an actual pay-per-view, or as the Raiders call it, a premium live event. Which there is more time. It's just stupid. We should have had McIntyre beat him twice now, and just be on to something else. It really is. My thoughts. Zane announcing that the idea he ran away from McIntyre a week ago and instead talked up his early exit to master strategy in a solid pre-match promo and the same thing on the WWE Network. Zayn then proceeded to bail out of the ring after the sound of the bell. Adam Pearce informed Sami Zayn that he will battle McIntyre next week in a lumberjack match designed to prevent him from running away. So you know the Raiders are going to give him a way to get out. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows it. Including the great Prince Cat. <coughs> <coughs> Next match, there was no reason to hype the Intercontinental Championship match or the champion Ricochet in his match where he faced Jinder Mahal. After all, as the one and only rolled up to a victory with a lightning quick victory over Jinder Mahal, Despite the fact that Ricochet's latest title defence only lasted a handful of minutes and nothing actually happened in the match that suggested Mahal can look forward to anything other than a jobber role going forward, this segment managed to somehow disappoint. The high-flying babyface is still early in his run as Intercontinental Champion and showcase matches like this will help re-establish the credibility of the Intercontinental Championship with an audience who spent two years watching it be devalued and spent two years watching Ricochet lose. These are keys. This was one of those matches... Well, I say all that. It will only... The credibility for Ricochet and the Intercontinental title can only last as long as the radios can resist the urge to switch the title because they're bored 
3 out of 10. My thoughts. McAfee referring to WCW and the WWE cruiserweight champion Billy Kidman when discussing Ricochet's shooting star press finisher to which Michael Cole responded by knocking by knocking the many-time champion Kidman struggling with his balance on the top rope was just cruel and unusual and ridiculous. It just shows Michael Cole and his demonic screaming for what he truly is, an arsehole. Backstage, Seamus, Rich Holland and lost a riled, lost a riled up butch only to find him attacking New Day and inciting April. Lacey Evans continued her comeback with another emotional story from her past. Natalia and Shayna Baszler encountered Rachel Rodriguez with the former backhandedly welcoming her to the show. Next, the main event, Riddle versus Jimmy Uso. RK Pro sent a message loud and clear to the Usos by way of Riddle's victory over Jimmy Uso in the night's main event. A strong back and forth of high quality. It is really easy to see that these two have great, great chemistry and it really escalated and elevated with with Riddle's late comeback and Orton's attack on Jay at ringside. The Viper Joe drove Roman Reigns' right-hand man on the commentary table and then watched as the original pro countered a pop-up Samoa drop into an RKO for the win and a night when the Universal Champion Roman Reigns was nowhere to be found, Orton and Riddle's presence on the show was obvious and unequivocally important. They did not disappoint sending fans home satisfied and setting up a high-stake main event-worthy showdown with the Usos at WrestleMania Backlash. 12 out of 10. My thoughts. Uso taunted Orton by driving Riddle into the steel steps in a nice bit of heel work from the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Orton was on fire through being very animated on the outside while watching the ebb and flow of his tag team partner's performance. Orton's side suplex on a commentary table is vicious every time regardless of whether said table actually breaks or not. Just the look of it makes it look vicious. The Viper jumping in the ring fired up before the referee counted three was great and reflected of the frantic energy the third generation star brings to the show from start to finish. And now we turn to Monday Night Raw from the 18th of April 2022. 
Raw opened up with Seth Rollins talking about his upcoming match against Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania Backlash. After a few moments, the American Nightmare joins him in the ring. While once and future opponents, Rhodes and Rollins, seem to have a level of respect for each other until Rhodes started upstaging Rollins with his crowd reactions. The visionary said he did not have time to prepare for his match at WrestleMania against an unknown opponent. But he said people think Rhodes was better than him was even worse than losing. The visionary eventually dared Rhodes to face an unknown opponent in the night's main event if he thought it was so easy. The American Nightmare accepted the challenge immediately. This was a decent segment but could have accomplished the same thing in half the time. It felt like they were stretching to fill time at one point, but other than that, this was a solid promo exchange. I would recommend you go out of your way to watch it. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. My thoughts. When Rollins eventually turns babyface again, he is going to be over with the crowd more than ever before. People are already cheering for him. And he's still technically a heel. Rollins might not have been wearing a typical suit jacket, but he still had a shirt and tie on underneath the jacket he was wearing. It was kind of like a formal suit. The crowd was hot for this segment and it gave both men every reaction they wanted at the right time. A good crowd always makes a show more fun for those watching at home too. The first of the night's two title matches was for the Women's Tag Team Championship as Sasha Banks and Naomi were first to take on their challengers, Morgan and Rhea Ripley. Liv Morgan and our favourite dominatrix, Rhea Ripley, had matching outfits. Oh la la! Banks and Morgan started for their teams. The champs took control early by using quick tags and double team moves. But Ripley was able to turn things around when she overpowered both opponents at ringside. While Ripley and Morgan came close to winning, Banks and Naomi ultimately ended up retaining their titles when they pinned Ripley. This was the right call, but it could have used five more minutes. It felt like a commercial break in the middle was as long as the match itself. The teams had chemistry, but this is the last time we will see them together. Which is very disappointing. Ripley and Morgan got into an argument that ended with Rhea Ripley hitting her former partner with a riptide. The heel turn is complete and now Ripley can get back to focus on being a single star. 3 out of 10. My thoughts. Banks should teach a class at the Performance Centre just about selling. She is so good 
at making her opponents look dominant when she knows she's going to win in the end. All tag teams should coordinate their gear, it adds a little something when both sets of partners look like they belong together. The way the match ended felt a little bit abrupt. Banks and Naomi used their tag team finisher, but it did not have the usual build-up that we see in tag matches, and I think that was a very bad thing here. Honestly, five more minutes would not have harmed them here, and it actually would have driven up their grade to a seven. And the only reason it got so low is just because more of the match was in commercial break than was before the break and at the end of the break. So unless you were watching it in the arena, you didn't actually see what happened. And that's bad for the people watching at home. And the people reviewing it much like myself. After being spoken to on a segment that happened before Raw, where Adam Pearce told Sonia Deville that her actions last week are being looked at by the higher-ups, by WWE management, about the abuse of power. Sonia Deville came to the ring and gave a meh promo addressing accusations that she is misusing her power as an official. She talked about how she has always been a competitor and she was just taking the opportunity that she saw in front of her. The narcissist made her way to the ring and offered to defend the title right then and there. She almost hit Deville with the KOD, but the authority figure threatened to fine and strip her of the title if she did that. The narcissist put her down and left. While both women were good in this segment, it accomplished nothing. It just reminded us that this feud exists, which could have been done with a video package or if Sonia Deville had just been left to talk on her own. But no, the narcissist had to interfere. If she has to interfere, maybe a quick backstage interaction. Zero out of ten. The next match, Zorvir Manhall will take on a jobber named Jeff Brooks. As expected, the powerhouse destroyed him in about 45 seconds and kept attacking him after the bell. It was a typical push and a typical squash match. Veer looked good, so it accomplished its goal. 3 out of 10. My thoughts. Deville was getting some real heat from the crowd. The what chants were dumb, but the boos she got indicate that the crowd is going to be firmly behind the narcissist in this feud which is only going to madden me even more because it will validate the narcissist's ego to no end. The crowd really hated Deville when she called the town. She was in a rusted out suburb of 
New York. And why she put on a weird accent, I won't know. The narcissist is as over with the New York crowd is as you can get. The crowd in New York loves her and always delivers when she does anything. She could shit in the ring and these New York fans would think it is highbrow entertainment. But then I guess that's what happens when you live in New York where Jerry Springer, Oprah and chat shows like that that appeal to the lowest denominator of intelligence reign supreme. If that's the kind of trash that they like in New York, then the narcissist is the kind of trash that they will cheer. The gimmick and delays aside, Veer has a lot of upside and potential. If only we hadn't seen him for months with Jinder Mahal and then taken away from Jinder Mahal for months. Just. Jimmy Smith called for his clothesline a million dollar arm. It was a nice reference to the fact that Veer's story was the basis for the film Million Dollar Arm. Like, really? Next, Kevin Owens got buried by the Raiders. Just because they're a bunch of arsehole, circle-jerking pricks that need to be lined up against the wall and shot and have their fat sold for soap. Owens came out and hosted a special lie detector test episode of The Kevin Owens Show with Ezekiel, who Owens is convinced used to be Elias and is just lying about his name after having a haircut. Which is fucking obvious! Chad Gable was present to oversee the testing because he's an Olympian, so therefore he's qualified to... Say how a lie detector test works? Again, three news. Ezekiel came out and acted like he was setting up to say his old cat's phrase before saying who wants to hear what Zeke who wants to hear Zeke speak. The test began with Ezekiel answering some basic baseline questions. The test supposedly revealed that Ezekiel was telling the truth when he said he was not Elias. Zeke said he was tired of being called a liar by the biggest liar in WWE. Kevin Owens walked away while Gable attacked the younger brother of Elias to set up their match after the commercial break. The bell rang after we returned from the break to see Ezekiel take control immediately with his Significant size and power advantage. The KO show portion of this 
was typical writers of the WWE and kept this bullshit non-existent storyline going and the match that followed was more competitive than expected. WWE could have booked Ezekiel to win with ease but Gable had some offence before Otis ran in to cause a disqualification to save his partner. And why Michael Cole? I don't even know why Michael Cole said Patina <laughs> like that. I I honestly don't. Well, I don't know if it was Michael Cole or one of Michael Cole's fucking lackey assistants that Michael Cole's trained up to do demonic screaming because they all sound the same. I know Jerry the King Waller was there and that was fucking great. Shame we can't get the King and Jim Ross on AEW as a single commentary team, and we just have a masterpiece right there. Alpha Academy left while Zeke tried to collect himself in the ring. Zeke may have won, but it was not the way he wanted. Five out of ten. And that's just because I like Kevin Owens. It should have got a 0 out of 10, but I like Kevin Owens, so he gets a 5. The lie detectors. You know what, let's just jump into my thoughts here. Al Gable was qualified being an Olympian to do the lie detector results, I'll never know. Lie detectors have been on... And have been a talk show stable for decades now. It's surprising it took WWE this long to use one in a segment. WWE is learning too hard, is leaning, I should say, too hard into the shh catchphrase for Gable. It's funny, but when he is obviously setting it up, it feels forced. Zeke's spinebuster was nice. And so was the modified ankle lock he used because Cable does actually have leg issues at the moment. So it was a nice way to still apply the ankle lock while protecting him. Next, RK Bro versus the Prophets of the Street. The Royal Tag Team Champions were in action this week in a non-title match which saw Randy Orton and Riddle take on Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins. Again. The Viper and Dawkins kicked things off with a standard lock-up and shoulder block sequence. Both men took the other off their feet so they seemed to be matched in several ways. The Prophets had some decent Offense at times, but it felt like this match was all about making RK Bro look like world beaters before they face the Usos at WrestleMania Backlash in their title unification match, if you will, baby. The Usos music hit and distracted Riddle and Orton, and Ford took advantage of the distraction and knocked the Viper off the apron before he and Dawkins hit Riddle with their finisher. For a surprising win. Honestly. 
these writers are fucking morons. How do you book them like world beaters in a match only to have them lose? I know the writers thought it wouldn't hurt their credibility. Well, fuck those guys. Dishonor on them and dishonor on their cats. I'm sure that just popped Cat God, who I know is listening. But yes, dishonor on them and dishonor on their goat and their ancestors. To quote Mulan. Unexpected results are usually nice, especially when the person or team is deserving of a win. However, that was not the case here. If this leads to the profits being added to the title unification match, it will take away everything that WWE has built between the Usos and RK Bro. And it will just piss me off beyond belief. Ford and Dawkins took credit for playing the music as if they were turning heel, but it did not get any boos from the crowd. Overall, this was an amazing match. However, the wrong team won. And it has the potential to fuck up WrestleMania Backlash. So, 6 out of 10. If the right team had won, I would have given this a 15 out of 10, but they didn't. My thoughts. It feels like we've seen Every combination of this match since halfway through 2021. The tag team division needs a refresh. Riddle jumping to the top rope to take down Ford as the match went to a commercial break was just a ridiculous spot. Once again, Ford effortlessly hit his best spot in the match. And the only reason I can think of why the Prophet's got a win in this match is because Ford's wife, the narcissist, is the Raw Women's Champion. That's the only reason why it makes sense that they would fuck up the storyline and I say the only reason why it makes sense, and that's if you're going by the brain-dead reactions of the writers. However, the second match from Monday's show featured Bowler putting the United States Championship on the line against Theory. The match started with a standard lockup but it did not take long for them to start using strikes. The Prince was able to take control and hit a few chops before Austin Theory put him down with a backbreaker out of nowhere. As the match progressed, they kept upping the aggression and hitting bigger spots. Bowler began to feel like the underdog after he took a neck breaker from the apron to the floor and honestly... I was like, ooh, fuck. As those spots have a history of going wrong and being deadly. 
After some close two counts, Austin Theory defeated Balor to win the United States Championship. This was a relatively clean win that happened after Balor missed the coup de grace and Theory took advantage. The match was good, but the crowd seemed upset. A bunch of mid-card heels came out to lift Theory on their shoulders for some reason. Vince McMahon came out to congratulate him on stage. 10 out of 10. My thoughts. WWE played a video package for Theory before the match. Like we wouldn't know who he was. It felt very misplaced and unnecessary. It would have made more sense during this in the lead up to WrestleMania. Taking away Theory's first name, Austin, seemed completely unnecessary. The name change to keep things in-house are one thing, but shortening his name after he's already used it on the main roster and on the show of shows seems very strange. Theory hopping up to the top rope to hit a Spanish fly was a fantastic spot and a spot I did not see coming. I'm not reviewing the wedding, however I will give you my thoughts. Truth falling ready by telling him his flies were down was funny than it had any right to be. Naomi and Banks serving as Tamina's bride, bridemaids was a nice callback to their time as a trio in Team Bad. That stands for beautiful and dangerous. Truth made up a few new words during his speech. Tozawa having to get through several layers of dress before he could roll up. Tamina was pretty funny. Next time for the main event of the evening, which saw Owens answer the call to be Seth Rollins' hand-picked opponent for ropes. The match had a competitive start, but after Kevin Owens countered a suicide dive and hit a fallaway slam into the barricade, he was firmly in control. To nobody's surprise, this was an amazing performance too close to call. The show... Once most wrestlers reach a certain level of expectation, they can work well with just about anybody. Kevin Owens and Rhodes both fall into that category and they both excelled in this match. This match was given more than enough time for them to create an amazing story in the ring without having to rush anything. Both men looked legitimately worn out. By the final minutes. As it looked like the prize fighter Kevin Owens was going to be counted out, Rollins yelled at him to get his ass back in the ring, but Kevin Owens told him to deal with his own problems and walked away to be counted out. The referee clearly did not want it to end this way and tried his hardest to count his slowest. However, Kevin Owens got counts got counted out, making Rhodes the winner via count out. The show ended with the visionary knocking the American Nightmare from the middle turnbuckle to the floor as he 
was trying to celebrate the ending of the match. This was kind of odd, but everything leading up to it was quality pro wrestling. And I'm going to give this a 90 out of 10. The way Owens blocked a suicide dive and brought Rhodes out for a fallaway slam to the barricades. <clears throat> Rhodes sending Owens over the announcer's table was a nice spot. It was the perfect time to give both men a quick 30 second breather. Again, unless you were looking for it, you wouldn't have seen that that's why it was done. Rollins yelling at Owens to get back in the ring until Kevin Owens walked out on him was funny, but it was an anticlimactic way to end the match. That being said, it gives Rollins something to bitch about next week. On Raw, he can say, see, you may have won the match, but it was via countout. It wasn't via pinfall. So you're not better than me because you didn't beat my mystery opponent when you had no time to prepare. Which I think Vince McMahon would have said, that's how he wants it to end. However, the way the writers delivered it was ridiculous. If this match had been a count out because Kevin Owens was too exhausted to get back in the ring, it would have made perfect sense and nobody would have bitched. Nobody at all. It would have made perfect sense. However, they chose not to go down this path and thus the results are everybody is bitching about it because the riders managed to fuck up an amazing match. Now we go to Friday Night Smackdown from the 22nd of April 2022. A contract signing for the I Quit match for the Smackdown Women's Championship at WrestleMania Backlash opened up the show as Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair put pen to paper for the match. WWE hopes improves upon their lacklustre affair in Dallas. Nothing was any different than things Ronda and Flair have said in the past, nor was the feud propelled forward in any meaningful way. Instead, it continued the status quo between the champion and the challenger as they bid time, as they bid time ahead of what is hopefully the end of this feud. The highlight was Drew Galak, who steals every scene he appears in and has done wonders in making both women look like world beaters by bumping and tapping out for them both. 3 out of 10. What kind of meh And what kind of USFL amateur stuff is this? Pat McAfee said of the missing contact carrying over his disdain 
for this new league from the show. Gulag, preparing a PowerPoint presentation on the rules of an I Quit match, was a nice nod to his past. Rousey, you will be spared no humiliation when you say I quit. Meh. Next, Xavier Woods versus Butch. Of all the talent WWE has let go, they still keep the new day. This fact boggles me. The feud between the New Day and the Easy Boys continued this week as Xavier Woods squared off with Butch. The rabid wildebeest, labelled as such by Pat McAfee on commentary, controlled the match but saw his unbridled rage utilised against him as Woods caught him with a DDT into the backward small package for the win. I mean, we've seen this twice now. This match was a perfectly acceptable pro wrestling match by mid-card standards. And I only say that because it was aided by a commercial break. <laughs> Woods is going to get the roll-up over a genuine finishing main eventer. And that is simply meh. It was Butch in the ring maintain and looked a hell of a lot like his previous persona and he acted a lot like it and used a lot of his previous personas aka Pete Dunn's moved and it really stood out here. Why even go through the repackaging process if the guy is going to be the same bruiser weight we all know and loved and grew to respect during NXT. Anyway, these arsehole writers are going to keep pushing this feud, with added elements of Butch apparently being a spoiled brat who sulks when he doesn't get his way. <sighs> 3 out of 10. Michael Cole's demonic screaming and insistence that the WWE Universe was intrigued to see what kind of wrestler Butch is more than insisting that the audience not call him Pete Dunne is ridiculous. Michael Cole and his demonic screaming that the that well, his demonic screaming and more of his insulting than intended for the audience who has not forgotten that Butch is actually Pete Dunne and is accomplished as WWE NXT superstar Pete Dunne. Next, Gunther squashes Teddy Goods and Riddle versus Jay Poor Teddy Goods, the enhancement competitor found himself on the receiving end of a one-sided arse-kicking by Gunther, who chopped his way to dominance, showing 
before the powerhouse, his opponent for the win, showcasing the ring general in a squash match, while Ludwig Borgen handles all the talking is a formula that has worked thus far in the pairing for the main event run. Later, Riddle looked to make it 2-0 against the Usos in consecutive SmackDown weeks. The back and forth saw Riddle overcome a pop-up neck breaker, late mid super kick from Uso to score a roll-up for the win. The match was fantastic. Riddle and Uso showed up and showed out with performances that would have been right at home in any main event. The original bro Riddle has become one of the tag team's division's workhorses over the last year and can typically be counted on to deliver in tag or singles. Uso, though, is one of the hidden gems on the roster. He proved himself against Reigns in their 2020 feud and is absolutely capable of hanging with anyone on the roster. He is a great worker and together with Riddle he had one of the best matches of the week. Kudos to Orton for putting over the emotional roller coaster of it all with his facial expressions and mannerisms at ringside. And I'm going to give this a 15 out of 10. McAfee asserting that Teddy Goods has about six foot five worth of poop in his pants before his match with Gunther was hilarious. The former Indianapolis Colts punter delivered another great line as Riddle mounted his comeback against Uso saying, Welcome to Cloud 420, cuz where Riddle is your pilot. Uso mocking Orton by delivering a side suplex to Riddle on the on the commentary table was a fun spot. And it really was a fun spot. Next, generic girl interviewer, who was not mentioned, interviewed Women's Tag Team Champions Sasha Banks and Naomi in an in-ring promo that was quickly interrupted by Natalia and Shayna Baszler. The verbal back and forth ended with the champions getting the best of their prospective opponents. An inoffensive promo that allowed the babyfaces to showcase some personality while introducing... Natalia and Baszler as their next opponents was a pretty acceptable way to jump start what could be an interesting rivalry with a ton of potential and a ton of potential to produce in the ring as well as with Mike segments. Natalia and Baszler make a solid team too. The rivalry between Madcap Moss and Happy Corbin continued Friday night, but not before the former won a glorified squash match against Los Lothario's Angel. After the bout, Corbin stole the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal trophy and headed backstage to the disdain of his former associate. The match was fine for what it was, 
But did we really have to sacrifice Angel's credibility to put over Moss? Was there no better way to get the same conclusion with Corbin stealing the trophy? It felt wholeheartedly unnecessary and did more damage to Angel and to Moss than it did strengthen Moss. 3 out of 10. Banks and Naomi making fun of Natalia for her cats was long overdue. I mean, she does love her some two paws Instagram with total rock star. Moss burning Corbin for his hair loss backstage was great and absolutely accurate. The outrage over Corbin stealing the trophy. He won back in 2016 and whose name is on it seems a little bit overblown. Next, the Lumberjack match. Drew McIntyre versus Sami Zayn. Now, my thoughts. How is Zayn going to weasel his way out of it this week? How are the writers going to damage Drew McIntyre's credibility this week? Well, let's find out. Drew McIntyre and Sami Zayn's joke of a rivalry wrote its latest chapter in a lumberjack match. For the main event of this week's show, the action broke down late when the Usos delivered a double-team superkick to Randy Orton, then laying Riddle out before stomping off. The lumberjacks brawled, McIntyre leaped over the top rope with a senton, and Zayn escaped through the crowd once again. This time, Adam Pearce announced a steel cage match for next week. <coughs> Despite the lack of interest by anybody, the latest in this feud between McIntyre and Zayn, it was the Usos and the mission Rain sent them out on to put respect on his name that stole focus of me watching at home, the people at ringside and the commentary team. And fans alike, the very lumberjack match was meant to contain the fight between the Scottish warrior and the great liberator. Instead, it overshadowed it. The cage match next week will just be ridiculous. But with WrestleMania backlash on the horizon, let's see how WWE can further damage Drew McIntyre's credibility when Zayn manages to weasel his way out of the cage to set up one last showdown between him and the former WWE champion. 3 out of 10. My thoughts. Backstage, the manipulative Zayn attempted to beg Reigns to help him in his match with Drew McIntyre by claiming the Scottish Warrior and RK Bro had talked trash about the Tribal Chief. We had another Lacey Evans video package. The utter joy on Zane's face as the Usos made their presence felt was just 
meh, just meh. Ditto when he utilised the opportunity to escape further punishment and a meh way to end Smackdown. Now, we'll start this week with AEW's Battle of the Belts from Saturday the 16th of April 2022. The first of the night's three title matches saw Scorpio Sky defend the TNT Championship against the man he beat for the belt, Sammy Guevara. Taya Conti accompanied Guevara while Dan Lambert sat in Sky's corner. They did not waste any time and immediately started brawling. Sky hit a big slam to get the upper hand, but the Spanish god hit a side suplex a moment later to turn the tide back in his favour. No selling there then. The previous match involved ladders, so was likely a little pressure on them. And the energy in this match. But within the restrictions of the usual rules, they did a good job keeping the pace steady and hitting big moves. But this bout lacked a big fight feel after their last match. As Guevara, as Sammy Guevara began to build momentum, it was much clear to the crowd that they had turned against him. Paige Van Zandt got a big pop when she ran down to fight with Conti. And let me tell you, that was the crappiest fight I think I'd seen in a long time. Sky hit a poke to the eye behind the ref's back, but Guevara hit a low blow, followed by his finisher for the pin and the win. The Spanish god regained the TNT title, and lots of fans did not seem happy about it. So, Sammy Guevara went into this match as an arrogant babyface and came out an arrogant heel champion. Considering how Sky's been getting babyface reactions and Guevara has been getting booed, this might lead to Sky regaining the belt after both men have turned. We'll see. 8 out of 10. My thoughts. Guevara might not be a big dude, but Scorpio scooped him up and slammed him at the beginning of the match. Took some power. The crowd had dueling chants of Let's Go Sammy and Sammy Sucks, chanting going just after two minutes. Very reminiscent of John Cena chants back in the day. Let's Go Cena, Cena Sucks. The way Guevara kissed Conti on stage was very reminiscent of the way The Miz kissed his wife Maurice on stage. It felt like a heel move. Sky and Guevara can hit all the high spots, but some of the best moves in the match were simple trios of backbreakers and traditional and technical wrestling. Sky hit them perfectly and Guevara sold them like he was hit with a bat. Guevara hit a nice shooting star press from the top rope to the floor to take out both Sky and Ethan Page when he ran down to interfere. Next, we've already seen the Ring of Honor TV and Tag Team Championships defended on AEW programming 
and this match added another belt to the list. When Jonathan Gresham put the Ring of Honor world title on the line against Dalton Castle. Both men does both men observed the Code of Honor and shook hands before the match got underway. The octopus put his technical abilities on display right away, so Castle was forced to break to take a break before the clock even reached two minutes. This match felt different than most of what AEW puts on in recent weeks. In some small ways, it's hard to explain, but there are certain things, indie wrestlers, that you don't see on mainstream shows, and we saw some of it in this bout. It's not a bad thing, but certain things that can pop a live crowd do not work well on TV. After being in both situations, after watching live wrestling and seeing what pops there and watching the same event at home, it doesn't pop you while watching it at home. You have to be careful of that very, very, very thin line. After a good fight, Gresham successfully made Castle tap out with his trademark octopus submission. This is where it went downhill. Jay the sexual predator lethal and Sanjay Butt and Santam Singh came down and attacked everybody after the match. Samoa Joe showed up with a lead pipe to send them packing. 7 out of 10. My thoughts. After winning both Ring of Honor belts on Supercard of Honor, it appears as if Gresham will only carry the silver design going forward. Cass, back and forth, gut wrench, suplex is a nice spot. It would disconjoint just about anybody. The guys who accompanied Castle to the ring were running back and forth at ringside as Castle was running in the ring. It was given... It was giving off a serious Damien Mizdow vibe. And honestly, I didn't like it. I thought it was too distracting. It's the same thing that happens in multi-man matches. There's too much to watch. The spot when both men were ducking each other's strikes went on far too long. To be anything close to believable. They also traded... Too many near falls when they were rolling around on the mat moments later. Seeing Samoa Joe and Grisham holding up the Ring of Honor TV and the Ring of Honor World Championship at the end of the segment was great. The main event of the card featured Thunder Rosa defending the AW Women's Championship against top-ranked contender Nyla Rose. Now, on Rampage and Dynamite, she hasn't won any matches. But on the YouTube shows, she's been unstoppable, beating jobbers, and therefore she's gone up the rank with how many wins she's got. I feel like there's a way to manipulate this system. If you're not going to challenge the people that are... 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You can just face enough jobbers and you go up the list that way. The challenger Nyla Rose immediately asserted her dominance by knocking the champion out of the ring and beating her up at ringside with some help from the barricade. We've seen this again and again and again and again and again and again in any John Moxley match and repeatedly in most matches on AEW. The native beast had the upper hand for several minutes and throughout the commercial break Rosa would occasionally try and make a comeback but Nyla would immediately stop her in her tracks. It helped to make the champion looked like the underdog, which is exactly how it should be with these two. When we returned from the break, the champion began to build up ahead of steam. Nyla still had plenty of offense, but it was no longer a one-sided battle. After overcoming several close two counts, Rosa scored the win with a Hurricane Rana. This was one of the native beast's best performance in months. She had... And Rosa had great chemistry and it helped them to put on a competitive match with some great moments. This was the right match to put on in the main event slot. And I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. My thoughts. If Thunder Rosa had been into several months of her title reign... This would have been even better. If Nyla Rose had been booked properly like a dominant beast from start to finish. From the beginning of her time in AEW. Rather than bouncing about the ring and taking bumps for Riho. And the rest of Kenny Omega's Japanese schoolgirl fetishes. That... There's no way any of the moves they have ever done to Nyla Rose is believable, but yet she has been, for these small women, she has been battered around the ring like a pinball, and it destroyed all of her credibility. She may have been rehabilitated on Dark and Dark Elevation, the YouTube shows, but as it has not been done on national television... It doesn't build any, and I mean any, credibility with people who just watch the national TV show. Or the likes of myself, or Jim Cornette, or anybody that reviews wrestling. Simply because Nyla Rose has been portrayed as just a jobber. In ridiculous situations for too long. Back to this match. Nyla's face paint was cool. And she would have fit right in with the House of Black. The powerbomb Nyla hit on the apron looked clean. She put Rosa down flat and safely as possible. While making it look like a painful manoeuvre. 
and that powerbomb is very dangerous so that was amazing people keep bringing signs to aw shows that mention Elden ring is kind of funny nyla's hair was getting in her face a lot so she was consistently brushing it out of the way she'll probably regret not trying to tie it back better and tighter Rosa countering a powerbomb with a code red was a nice spot and it hit perfectly. And that was AEW's Battle of the Belts from the 16th of April 2022. Now we turn to AEW Dynamite Live from the 20th of April 2022. The dream match between two immensely popular stars, CM Punk, when Dustin Rhodes kicked off Wednesday's show and the fans in Pittsburgh were solidly behind both men. A great old-school wrestling match, which saw each man target limbs of their opponents and work it over. It saw great traditional wrestling, technical wrestling and joint manipulation. It hobbled by a left leg injury Rhodes broke out a crossroads and a standard pile driver. Punk tried to hit the go to sleep, but his left arm prevented him from executing it. In the end, it was Punk countering Rhodes' own counter, stacking him up in a roll-up for the win. The in-ring psychology, chemistry... The mixture of traditional wrestling and new generation of wrestling, psychology, storyline, was just everything it needed to be. It was everything it set out to accomplish by these two wrestlers with experience and appreciation for the artistry of the pro wrestling business. And it showed what these two can pull off. Punk and Rhodes have been there, done that, but still put in work that reflected and showed their love and respect for the industry. As Punk prepares for his high-profile match against another babyface in Hangman Adam Page, this was a great tune-up and preview of what to expect when they clash presumably over Memorial Weekend in Las Vegas at Double or Nothing. That being said, I truly believe a Dustin Rhodes versus CM Punk could have been at Double or Nothing as a match in its own right, and it would have sold out, and it would have delivered like it did here over everything else. And just showed what great wrestling can be done when it's left to two greats to just get on with it. I'm going to give this an 81 out of 10. And it was Excalibur on commentary that stopped it getting 100. My thoughts. CM Punk should win. 
it, but Dustin Rhodes can be anyone on any given night, Jim Ross said of the dream match, putting over the former's win streak and his Hall of Fame opponent at the same time. The pre-match handshake put over the respect between these two beloved baby faces and shows the respect that these two have in their personal lives. Rhodes bumped to the floor, which triggered a knee injury and became the key spot around which a major of the heat portion of the bout revolved. I wasn't sure if Rhodes genuinely injured himself or not because it did look bad. When Rhodes kicked Punk off and into the ring post, his left arm crashed into it. As the former returned his attention to the limb, the near fall of the natural's snap power slam had fans thinking an upset victory was on the horizon and honestly it had me believing that Dustin Rhodes would win this it was a great back and forth where I couldn't say who was going to win and who wasn't it really did on I'm going to go back and watch this and I honestly encourage everybody else to do the same honestly I do Oh, the post-match embrace between Punk and Rhodes was just mwah. and the stare down between Hangman, Adam Page and Punk were equally great but the latter all but confirmed the AEW world title match next the next match was for, for a moment, it appeared as though the young team of Lee Moriarty, Brock Anderson and Dante Martin might do the unthinkable and upset the Blackpool Combat Club, the BCC. Moriarty, the hometown hero from Pittsburgh, unloaded on Daniel Bryan. The American Dragon came dangerously close to a submission before John Moxley exploded into the match <coughs> and scored the eventual win for his team. This was an energetic trios match, you know, a six-man tag match, that managed to continue building momentum for the BCC by way of victory while at the same time giving Moriarty and Anderson an opportunity to shine against former world champions and a red-hot Wheeler Utah. Moriarty in particular looked great and was clearly motivated even more by the hometown crowd. He could very easily slide into the BCC next and fit perfectly into that faction. It is about Danhausen did mention him by name at the outset of the story after all. I'm going to give this match an 8 out of 10. My thoughts. 
William Regal discussing his friendship with Arne Anderson and their history together and then revealing he prepared his team on what to expect from young Brock Anderson was so good. Regal is an, is an expert at lending credibility and legitimacy to the industry and this was no different. Again, Excalibur couldn't help himself and managed to drag this down. However, what do you expect from Excalibur at this point? Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone were great. So was William Regal. Moriarty answering Danhausen's slap with one of his own was a great moment of defiance by a guy unfazed And that's all I can say for that match. Next, Tony Khan, with a little help from Adam Cole, announced the Forbidden Door in Chicago on the 26th of June. The event will be a joint extravaganza featuring AEW stars and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And on Friday on Rampage, Cole will battle Tommy Ishii in an Owen Hart Foundation Men's Tournament Qualifier. I mean, they've got to stop going on about this forbidden door stuff. They've got to stop with this Tony Khan coming on the show and making these announcements. It's just to stroke his ego, that's all it is. Switchblade Jay White made a surprising appearance and ended a brief promo by reminding fans that whether Undisputed Era or Bullet Club, it's still our era. The announcement was massive for diehard wrestling fans and the latest co-brand event put on over Khan's willingness to work with other promotions to benefit the audience. It will be interesting to see if the affects the business in any measurable way, but there's no denying the implications of such a partnership. We might see talent sharing between the two in the very near future. After the announcement, MJF introduced Wardlow Sun's theme music for his match. The scarf-wielding heel hired gun the butcher. Wardlow absorbed everything thrown at him by the massive opponent, overcoming a damaged lower back and the Butcher's own powerbomb to finish to deliver four consistent symphony powerbombs for the empathetic victory. Really pretty, the battle of the big men further legitimised Wardlow and put over the unstoppable force Wardog has become since the start of the new year. However, honestly, and I have to say this, I had lent on the mute button on my TV and I didn't hear him say the blade or the butcher. I didn't hear him announce that it was the butcher and that he'd be accompanied by the blade. So honestly, for a second, I thought, why is Joey Nutella being brought out by the blade? 
Like the butcher has lost a lot of weight and he has gained some size, but his physique is very similar to Joey Janela's now, which I don't like. Honestly, I don't like it. So that gets... Let's be diplomatic. A five. I should give it a two, but I'm going to give it a five. My thoughts. The fan chanting Bullet Club reminded the wrestling world that the faction may not be the four studded group of competitors it once was, but it still has a ton of built up credibility with fans who still long to see it. Wardlow laughing after the win, knowing full well the showdown with MJF is now inevitable. The four straight power bombs to a guy the size of Butcher was an impressive sight, and the sort of star-making moment that Wardlow needed to continue credibility en route to the match with his old buddy, Max. Next... Owen Hart qualifying match tournament, Jungle Boy versus Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly wrestled his first singles match Wednesday, defeating Jungle Boy to advance into the Owen Hart Foundation men's tournament in a solid wrestling match. The styles appeared to clash on occasion, and O'Reilly opting not to sell the flips, tricks and dance routines, while he sold traditional moves and things that made sense, got over with me, but it did not with the crowd. There was plenty to like on this one, and those that love traditional wrestling and hate the flips, tricks and dance routines, and the fact that they have to be sold above traditional wrestling moves, would be impressed by this match. There was plenty to like in this one. The intensity in particular. Another opportunity for these two is inevitable after this match. However, O'Reilly needs to sit down with Jungle Boy and say that flip strict bollocks, that shit's not happening. We're doing this properly. It was impressive that Kyle O'Reilly went over here to maintain some semblance of credibility. Red Dragon has not achieved many notable victories and their recent loss to Jurassic Express put them in danger of being perceived as little more than Adam Cole's lowly sidekicks, which is what the middle-aged bucks want. The win went a long way in re-establishing him and putting him in a position of credibility to potentially win the tournament. 5 out of 10. Again, Excalibur fucked it with the commentary. Excalibur screaming that Kyle O'Reilly was not selling Jungle Boy's moves and he was just walking them off. And the outrage in his voice was just ridiculous. It was, it was just ridiculous. 
But my thoughts. Eddie Kingston vowed to whip Daniel Garcia's arse Friday night on Rampage in a match where the other members of the JAS as well as Santana and Ortiz are all barred from ringside. O'Reilly countering Jungle Boy's springboard arm drag attempt into a cross arm breaker was a great spot and set the tone for the match. O'Reilly essentially no-selling an overworked overhead suplex in the corner just to work an armbar on the top ropes was an interesting choice. However, O'Reilly didn't sell a lot of bullshit moves because he's a traditional wrestler and he's not going to sell flips, tricks and dance routines. He's not going to embarrass himself and destroy his credibility with fans he has built over many years just because Jungle Boy flips tricks. No, Jungle Boy can do traditional wrestling and excel at it. We've seen him do it before and he needs to do it more often. Next, Hook made his dynamite in-ring debut this week with a decisive victory over Anthony Henry. The rookie competitor dominated the action and tapped his opponent out with a Taz mission, but not without a cameo from Danhausen. After the, ma- after the match, the infuriated Danhausen officially challenged Hook for a match, to which Hook just bruised Danhausen's chest, and you could tell there was a bruise there, and brushed him off and walked out. The match did little more than introduce Hook to the Dynamite audience, though odds are, if you're watching every Wednesday, you're more than familiar with the second-generation star. With that said, the tease of Danhausen's first match was a fairly big deal and should lead to one of the most entertaining contests in recent memory. However, I think Danhausen should be winning matches, and unless you're going to sacrifice Hook to Danhausen, I don't think this match should go forward. Just my thoughts. Just my thoughts. Back in the arena, Sammy Guevara cut a heel promo Mm -hmm. in the face of booze from fans. Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page and Dan Lambert interrupted a back-and-forth trash-talking gave way to two important developments. Next week, Guevara defends the TNT title against Sky in a ladder match, and Sky and Paige Van Zandt will battle Guevara and Ty Conti at an undisclosed time. The roles were definitely flipped here, with Guevara and Conti being embraced as heels, while Lambert and Co. were clearly babyfaces. It will be interesting to see how the dynamics develop over the coming week. Hook's victory, 5 out of 10. Guevara slash Sky promo, 3 out of 10. My thoughts. Danhausen breaking Hook and getting a smirk out of him was a great moment, which I didn't realise the first time I watched it. I actually had to go back as well. And the latter bumping into a prospective opponent 
is a sign of disrespect, clearly unfazed by the idea of a match with the face-painted fan favourite, very nice, very evil Dan Housen. Lambert spoke with some conviction, as he always does, but clearly toned down the heel rhetoric to put over that Sky and Page are definitely the good guys in this feud. Next, Owen Hart Foundation Tournament Women's Qualifying Match. Britt Baker versus Danielle. Oh, God. The latest qualifier in the Owen Hart Foundation Women's Tournament saw hometown hero Dr. Britt Baker feed off the energy of her family, friends, and hometown, and defeat newcomer Danielle Camille. The match was solid, if unspectacular. <laughs> One made better by the crowd heat. Daniela was great as she used a tower choke to break her in the ultimate insult, but it was the good doctor who utilised a receiver's glove and applied the locked jaw to score the win. Daniela did not look like someone who reps were limited in NXT, instead hanging in there with the former AW Women's Champion the division is stacked with plenty of amazing women. The company is not actively utilising, so a full-time deal with AW may not be in the cards. But a shot as a member of the Ring of Honor Women's roster relaunch might be the better option. 3 out of 10. Honestly, my thoughts. Daniela choking Britt Baker with a treble tower was a great bit of heel work from the former NXT star. Baker knocking Tony Storm with a dig at cake to the face and leaving companies was pretty rough and hopefully this is the foundation of a feud between these two. Next, it's time for the main event of the evening. The coffin match between Darby Allen and Andrea Leolio. A wild, chaotic coffin match headlined this week's show as Darby Allen looked to settle his ongoing feud with Andrade. The interference from the Blade, Mark Quinn, and the rest of the Andre family office. And the revelation of Sting in the crowd and a brawl through the stands highlighted the early moments of the contest and a wicked reverse suplex onto the metal stage. Greats left Alan wrenching but face paint 
but the face-painted anti-hero of AW fought back, overcoming interference from Jose and slammed a thump, a thumb tack covered coffin lid on Andre to secure the win. Again, try saying that four times fast, especially when you're this tired. There will be some who say all these brawls with thumbtacks and weaponry is overdone and reduces the chances of it being highly effective and memorable when they are done too frequent and it waters down the impact. And I agree with them. The sting splash out of the stands was a cool moment when we saw it at Revolution and it always is impressive when a guy who is 60, I think he's 65, is willing to risk it all for the crowd pleasing spots. During it too many times though lessens the effect and continues to be the been there done that mentality that often times encourages one to step further beyond the threshold and more and more into dangerous degrees. The use of thumbtacks on the lid of a coffin was totally unnecessary and did not deliver the desired effect. The cameraman missed the shot of Alan slamming the lid in Andre's back in favour of catching Jose making his way down the ramp did not help matters. The intentions were good, but the match itself was more of a meh than a hit and only further diminished Andre Oleo's diminishing star power and it diminished the credibility of Darby Allen. My thoughts. Sting revealing himself as a fan in the crowd dressed as himself was a fun moment and a great turn back time moment to when he did the same in WCW. His dive from the stands onto the heels below. While it was fun, it has happened too many times and it's happened too often now. It's lost its impact and it's just put him at risk for no reason. Alan's top suicida on Andreo Leo into the coffin was a cool spot, but that could have gone wrong and it would have been deadly. There was very little, and I mean very little, margin for error there. And it was stupid and should not have happened. The Hardys made their present felt after the match and seemed to hit. Hint at a match with Sting and Allen. An interesting dream match of sorts with considerable star power. A double or nothing match for sure. If that's where this is going. And that was AEW Dynamite. Now we turn to AEW Rampage. Live from the 22nd. Of April 2022. Rampage opened up with Cole and Ishii already in the ring ready to go. This first ever encounter for a spot in the Owen Hart Foundation tournament. They did not beat around the bush with a bunch of quick holds and counters. They were beating the life out of each other in and out of the ring 
within the first few minutes. It felt like Cole adjusted his style to Ishii's match and he adjusted his intensity and it ended up leading to an entertaining fight. They didn't have a five-star classic, but they certainly made it memorable. The final minutes of the match turned into a striking contest. Each man dished out the best shots until Jay White ran down to take out Rocky Romero at ringside as a distraction. Cole used his advantage and scored the win over Ishii. He joined White on the stage to celebrate this was a predictable outcome, but the journey to get there was fun. 8 out of 10. My thoughts. It must have been fun for Cole to be the taller competitor in the ring, as it doesn't happen too often. Ishii is one of those guys who comes across in the ring as being much more powerful and much more taller than he looks at first glance. The delayed vertebral suplex he hit was impressive. It would be nice if some of these qualifying matches had more surprising results. So far, every bout has been easy to predict. Let's get some wild cards in here, please. Next, Lance Archer versus Sammy Guevara's little mask mate. Archer... And Serpentico, well that's what I'm fucking calling him, yeah, Serpentico, on one of the most one-sided squash matches we have seen in recent months. It lasted about 42 seconds, and the post-match beatdown lasted another minute or two. It makes sense to see somebody like Archer dominating opponents. It doesn't feel like there's any real reason for this match to exist. It served no storyline and didn't give us any reason to cheer or boo for Archer. The squash matches are good for building somebody up who is brand new, but the Murderhawk monster literally defeated John Moxley on AWTV for the new for the new Japan US Championship. He doesn't need this spot. I'm going to give this a 2 out of 10. Next, Kingston made his way to the ring, looking like a man who was ready to rip some bitch's head off. And that is certainly what he tried to do to Garcia. Much like Cole versus Ishii, this was a physical battle from the second they made contact. Nobody was going for hammerlocks or single leg takedowns. They were punching and kicking each other as much as possible. The Mad King had the upper hand at first, but Chris Jericho's newest protege wasn't about to go down without a fight. He got in some good offences and some good licks in between Kingston's burst of energy. For those in America land, when I say licks, licks is street slang for got some fucking hard looking punches in. He got him, effectively. The Mad King had the upper hand. 
And, yeah, I mean, he had the upper hand and he lost it several times, but he always seemed to gain it back. This was easily the most competitive match from this week's show and also the most entertaining. Technical clinics are great, but sometimes it's nice just to watch two bruisers knock each other senseless for 15 minutes. I'm not sure if it was a good idea to have two bruiser matches on the same show, but I enjoyed this match. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Seeing Garcia in a bucket hat was not only my 2020, not, oh no, seeing Garcia in a bucket hat was not only on my 2022 bingo card, but here we are. I mean, I figured with the amount that they put him on screen, at some point someone was going to put a bucket over his head, but the idiot came to the ring wearing it. The way Kingston's face looks when he is selling is so convincing, convincing you would think someone has shot him or stabbed him sometimes. He really has that appeal that the American dream Dusty Rhodes had back in the territory days, where he would just look at you and you would feel what he was going through, where he could pull that emotion from you, where fans would jump the rail to help the baby face. You know, unfortunately, this crowd is smart and they're, while they may be the smartest crowd that knows wrestling is fake, they are also the dumbest crowd because they cheer for flips, tricks and dance routines that actually damage people rather than having a fight that doesn't damage people, that looks dangerous. They cheer for people that have fights that look good that end up being dangerous. So yeah, Garcia is known for being a technician, but he proved he can slug it out with the best of them in this match. Some of his strikes were quite audible too. I'm not sure if that came down to enhancement, <coughs> or if that was genuinely they were heard. Next, the main event of the evening saw the TBS champion defend the belt against a relatively newcomer, Shafira, Kira, Hogan and Red Velvet were sat in the Jade Baddies section in the first row. Not only was what not only was this one of the longest matches we've seen Cargill work, but it was also one of the best, I have to say. Both she and Shafira have marked improvements in their in-ring style, their moves, and in their credibility over the past year. While this is not the best we will see from them in the coming years by, by any stretch of the imagination, this is the best we have seen them to date. There were a couple of times when they slowed it down a bit more than they needed to, but most things happened during the break when we could only see the screen in picture in picture because you had... Remember, it's Super Bowl season. You have to drink your water. Drink two liters of water during the Super Bowl. And you may be having a Super Bowl party, but nobody wants to use a toilet that stinks. Bleach. 
bleach bleach. Then we saw one for if you're having a Super Bowl party, hot dogs, hot dogs, hot dogs. Six hot dogs for five dollars at your local Walmart. And that comes with five buns for a dollar. Beer cheaper. You can get all your beer, all your food for less than 30 bucks for your Super Bowl game. Including with a very special offer. If you go in and you give them the following code, AEW, you'll get 30% off and you can use that for your bleach and your cleaning house products. So your Super Bowl party is a success. And I actually wrote down every single word in that stupid ass commercial. <laughs> but yes, it was nice to see Jade Cargill on the defence so much because it gave her an opportunity to do more selling than usual. Some of it was good, but it definitely had its meh moments where it needed work. After a long fought fight to get out of a submission, Jade hit her finish to get the pin and retain her title. Now I know I've, I'm going to give you my thoughts before my grade here. Now I know I've said this is the greatest performance we've seen from these two. And I know I said they've knocked a lot of green off and we'll see better performances in the future, but they still had a lot of green here. I mean, a lot of green. It looks like Velvet has officially turned heel since she was helping Jade during this bout. I guess her best friend Brandy isn't here anymore, so fuck it, she'll find Another heel to join. Jade tried to pin Zephira in the same manner that Ripley has been pinning most of her opponents sexually. Recently, we saw the same thing from Gutha on SmackDown. Social media is going to have a field day with this. The way Jade slammed Zephira right before the commercial break looked like a way a lot of people used to hit body slams in the 70s and 80s. While it was cool, I'm guessing it was a potato. And I'm guessing it was a receipt for one of the strikes that she received early on in the match. Zephira, and just about everybody who came from MMA, has a special way of making their strikes look stiff without actually being stiff. More wrestlers could benefit from taking specific strike training. The choke slam Strife took onto the timekeeper's table looked painful. The table did not break, so she hit it hard on the way down. And that is my thoughts for AW Rampage. Oh, I realised I didn't actually grade this. Um, five out of ten. Monday Night Raw opened with Riddle in the ring surrounded by almost all of the roster at ringside. He played a video package highlighting Randy Orton's 20-year career in WWE before the Viper made his way to the ring. Orton talked about how incredible his career had been, but he also said he hoped nobody was sick of him 
because he didn't intend on going anywhere anytime soon. Riddle bore out Cody Rhodes and he gave Orton a big hug when he got to the ring. This brought Seth Rollins out to chair some trash talk. He told the Viper not to trust Rhodes because he was just trying to steal the spotlight. Ezekiel and Kevin Owens ended up joining the party to continue their feud. The Usos followed. Adam Pearce came out and booked an eight-man tag match for the night. The segment started off fine, but it eventually felt crowded. Once Ezekiel showed up, it was clear WWE was trying to shove multiple storylines into one segment, and it didn't work. It just didn't work at all, so 3 out of 10. My thoughts. The video package did a great job showing some of Orton's top moments from two decades of footage. It had to be hard to pick and choose which clips to use because he has been part of so many big events and moments. The crowd popping for Orton and Rhodes' hug was a nice moment. Ezekiel saying he did not like interrupting people is funny. If you think about it. The first match of the night saw the narcissist put the Raw Women's title on the line against a woman who has made her life a living hell for weeks, Sonia Deville. They ended up taking the fight out of the ring within the first minute. The narcissist threw Deville over the announcer's table and Deville ended up being counted out. The crowd was completely silent for this and the narcissist's music did not hit right away so it was clear something else was going to happen. Deville ordered the ref to restart the match so he did. The narcissist went after her and they fought at ringside until the narcissist hit until Deville hit the narcissist with a chair to get herself disqualified. She grabbed a mic and demanded that the match be restarted again with no disqualifications. Carmella and Queen Z joined her in the ring and tried to help beat up the narcissist. But the narcissist don't sell for nobody. And the narcissist won the match to retain her title. This was really strange, the way it was booked was obviously designed to make the narcissist look like a world beater who can't be kept down, but it ended up more or less a mess. The opposite of what WWE expected because it just showed that she doesn't sell for shit, she's not selling for shit, and the narcissist is the narcissist, even after being... Attacked by multiple people, she was still screaming that I'm supposed to win this match. I'm a champion. When she got taken down by Queen Z, Carmella, and Deville, she was still screaming, I win this match. Y'all know who I am. Y'all know my story. I just Shut up and just sell why they keep pushing this narcissist. It's fucking ridiculous. This gets a 0 out of 10. 
My thoughts. Deville's entrance took place during the break. That's not something that should be happening when there is a challenge for the title. Queen Z and Carmella just broke up their tag team recently. Having them out there working together to help Deville made no sense. <coughs> WWE showed them backstage after their match talking to Deville about getting another shot at the women's tag titles. So it looks like the Raiders are just expecting everybody to gloss over their big fight from a few weeks ago. Next, Veer's victim this week was a jobber by the name of Sam Smooths. He, Veer defeated Smooths in about 30 seconds with his million dollar arm clothesline then proceeded to destroy him at ringside after the match was over. While we have seen fierce squash people, this was arguably the most dominant he looked. The about average looking jobber is just meh. The about average goal WWE set with this was meh. WWE can't rely on squash matches for too much longer. Veer needs a real rival. 3 out of 10. Next, Amos and Lashley were competing in an arm wrestling match to see which powerhouse had more raw strength. MVP talked some trash before the Almighty made his way to the ring. Along with the usual bullshit struggle that saw both men coming close to winning. And I was just like, meh. Lashley won and almost attacked him right away and slammed his head into the table they were using. This is predictable in just about every way. It got little heat from the crowd and ended up just being another meh. It's hard to tell if WWE was booking Omos because he's a heel or because this segment was relatively boring. 3 out of 10. The jury is out on whether Sam is related to Tracy Smothers. When are we going to get over? When are we going to get a remake of Over the Top starring only WWE stars? Nobody knows. Next time for more meh bullshit. After a short backstage segment with R-Truth pretending to be a couple's therapist, Tazawa and Tamina took on Reggie and Dana Brooke in a mixed tag match. Tazawa and Tamina ended up winning. And then we saw a few people try to pin Dana Brooke for the 24-7 title. She escaped without being pinned and ran to the back. This was not funny and it did not help any of the people involved at this point. It's hard not to feel bad for the individuals involved. My thoughts here. DeVille, who is an open lesbian, has been pushing for positive LGBTQ plus representation for years. And the writers just keep teasing the possibility of two women kissing. The way the writers treat representation of any community is disappointing to say the least. Next, Becky Lynch 
and Oscar both return to Raw. Lynch came out looking as depressed as we've ever seen her, and it had nothing to do with that ridiculous haircut about she talks about going almost three years without making an appearance on Raw without the title around her waist and not knowing who she is without it. Big time Beck said she'd hit rock bottom, but that meant there was nowhere else to go but up. She called this a new beginning of a legendary comeback. And she, the Raiders have decided that they're going to give Becky Lynch the same bullshit gimmick that they have given to her husband Seth Rollins, it appears. Right after she said nobody could stop her, Oscar made her long-awaited return to a great reaction. Lynch tried to attack her, but Oscar sent her packing and continued to dance to her music. This was a decent promo from Lynch and a good start to what will undoubtedly be a fun feud between these two great performers. Big Time Bex slowly losing her mind as she keeps racking up losses is just ridiculous again they've given her the same gimmick as her husband Seth freaking Rollins Lynch called the title her precious it was clear WWE wanted her to appear slightly unhinged and then when she started laughing but using the word glamorous the use of the one ring felt a bit excessive that and they've given her the same gimmick that her husband has it's fucking ridiculous seeing Oscar get such a warm welcome was great she deserves it after spending the past few months sitting backstage waiting to be used after she was cleared next Finn Balor versus Damian Priest Finn Balor and Damian Priest used to fight over the United States Championship, but now neither man has the belt. This fight is 100% personal. They did not hold back and started beating each other senseless as soon as the ref called for the bell. As we went to a commercial break, Priest dropped Balor with a powerbomb on the apron. We returned to see Finn Balor still struggling to regain his footing. He began to make a comeback and hit a quick double stomp before staring down the ramp towards Rated R Superstar. Balor was preparing to hit the coup de grace, but Edge distracted him. Priest capitalised with a huge choke slam and his new finisher to get the win. This was a solid match, but it did not come anywhere near the quality of their previous encounters. So it's going to be hard to give it a good grade when we all know they're capable of so much more. 3 out of 10. My thoughts. Edge entered the arena in a chair that was moving on a small tack. Edge was standing on the platform. Uh, Priest was standing on the platform beside him, sorry. They were both completely still as they slowly moved forward on the stage to the ramp. 
Edge's new stable is called Judgment Day. That's right. The idiot Raiders couldn't come up with anything original, so they recycled the name of an old pay-per-view for this group. If Edge's group is going to grow, it needs to happen soon. WWE could use a good stable right now. Next, The Miz welcomed Austin Theory as his guest for this week's episode of Miz TV. The new United States champion made it clear he was no longer going by the name Austin. They stroked each other's egos and put themselves over like typical heels. The Miz tried to give him some advice about watching his back now that he had the United States title around his waist. Mustafa Ali made his return for the first time since Crown Jewel. The Miz and Theory joked about not knowing Ali still had a job and called him the guy who took his ball and went home. Ali declared his intentions to chase the United States Championship and called Theory a coward when he refused his challenge. Theory texted Vince McMahon and got him to book a match between Ali and Miz, which the A-lister did not seem to like. They started off with some simple wrist locks and counters, but the Miz quickly turned it into more of a physical fight with a forearm to the head. Ali got in some good shots. The Miz controlled the first few minutes with some aggressive offense. Ali ended up winning with an improvised pin combination to counter the figure four. The moment Ali came out, the energy in the arena picked up. Not only did he do a good job on the mic, but he also looked great in the ring. As he was celebrating, Chumper attacked him out of nowhere, so we will see where this goes. The entire segment gets a 5 out of 10. My thoughts. Austin Theory telling the crowd to shut up when it was chanting what at him was kind of funny. So, if you look up in the dictionary, theory, it says un proven so what we're supposed to just think he is unproven now what happened when he is proven will it get changed you know how long before the writers decide theory isn't good enough we'll change it to the question or the enigma it's just fucking stupid leave it as Austin theory I'm going to keep calling him Austin Theory, so fuck it. My thoughts. The crowd was genuinely excited to see Ali back. He looked just as happy to see everybody in the crowd. However, them piping in the cheers overdone it. The Miz never giving less than 100%, and you have to respect him about that, even when he's given shit by the Raiders. He has an extra level of energy and tries his best to deliver the shitty bollocks. Ali is so smooth in the ring. If you follow him on social media, you have likely seen some of the videos 
of him and his students practicing certain sequences. He's on a different level than most of the cruiserweights. And make no mistake, Ali is a cruiserweight. Chompa no longer has a first name. Out of all the recent ridiculous name changes in WWE, this is one of the most egregious in my in my thoughts. Once all eight men were moving in the ring, a huge brawl broke out. The ref couldn't even call for the bell. We returned from a commercial break to see Jimmy Uso and Ezekiel in the ring, battling for control. The American Nightmare ended up being the babyface who took the brunt of the opposition team. They kept him cornered and tagged in and out, keeping everyone fresh while Rhodes was isolated. Zeke had a brief burst of offence after a hot tag, but Rollins was able to regain control when he hit Riddle with an inverted suplex. Once the Viper finally got tagged in, he started taking on everybody on the opposite team. After a handful of RKO's from various angles, the Legend Killer scored the pin for his team. This was the most entertaining match on the entire show and managed to address three different feuds at one time. Orton hitting everyone on the opposing team with an RKO felt like a good way to send the crowd home happy. However, there was far too much going on in the match. To even pay attention to it. This is the problem with eight-man matches. However, this gets a 9 out of 10. My thoughts. All of the entrances took over 10 minutes. WWE really needs to get better with time management. Just because you have three hours doesn't mean you should include a bunch of filler. When Jimmy tripped Riddle over the top rope, it looked like Riddle originally and legitimately did not see it coming. He came down hard on the turnbuckle. And the original bro looked like, what the fuck? The match was, this match was the first the crowd seemed truly interested in anything that was happening. Other segments would get cheers or boos. But it was piped in a lot to boost it. But this section of the show, this match was genuine. And you could tell it was getting legitimate reactions. And the arseholes in the back did not need to boost it. KO screaming oh my eye after Orton poked him. Was so much funnier than it should have been. But yes, that was Monday Night Raw. Live from the 25th of April, 2022.